Hi, I'm Jennifer Zollett. And I'm Larkin Bell. Welcome to our podcast, A Female Lens. Welcome to this week's Whiffin, Women in Film in the News. That I was fun. It. You tried that for the first time. I love that loud. acronym. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this week we're talking about Gina Davis. Yeah, Gina Davis and her Gina Davis Institute. Yes. Um, Gina Davis is just such a pioneer. Yeah, I didn't realize like how much of a pioneer she yeah. is for um, like female representation in media. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like I've heard her name. I knew she had an institute, but she really has been doing the work for a while. Yeah, she's dedicated, I feel like, a large section of her life. That was yeah. weird. A large <laughs> section and a big section. <laughs> you know. All the sections. Um, well, it's actually kind of her life's work now. It really is, yeah. The Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media was started in 2004. And basically, I feel like you told me that mm-hmm. she started because she had a young daughter. Yeah. And was noticing, especially in children's television programming, that female characters weren't represented. Yeah. There were just, she just noticed how few female characters were in children's Mm -hmm. programming and how that really has an effect on all of us. Mm -hmm. And it's at a subconscious level, but um, especially for young girls, they're not seeing themselves portrayed in television, in films, in the media. Um, And she decided to change that or at least work on that problem and additionally i think there was like a heard this story her talking about her working on thelma and louise Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's kind of where this all um started for her and when she was on set uh with susan sarandon on the first day uh Susan Sarandon had a couple of changes that she wanted to make in the script. She was like, okay, I think this line should be here, or I want to say this like this. And Gina Davis said her mind was just blown because she didn't realize women were allowed to speak that way or allowed to do that on set. She just thought like, oh, I have to be prim and proper and I'm an actress and I'm just here to do this thing. And Susan Sarandon really came in with this energy and power. Um, and Gina Davis was so struck by that. That, and big, I think, that big Susan energy. Yeah. <laughs> I think she uh, really, um, that really changed how she looked at things going totally. forward. And uh, I... Um, yeah, and all of kind of like the concrete actions that she's taken. Because I know the Institute has released a lot of research. Mm-hmm. Cause now it's 2019, so 15 yeah. years later, essentially. Exactly. Um, she now, like, I feel like also the industry has taken notice of her as well. Mm-hmm. She recently won an award at the Governor's Awards for um, the Humanitarian Award, I believe. And she just announced um, basically the unveiling of mm-hmm. this tool called GDIQ spell check for bias, right? Which is basi- basically a digitized tool mm-hmm. that analyzes um, the number of male and female characters and whether they're representative of the population at large right. in screenplays. And screenplays, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, um, and this is in partnership with Disney, so it's a pretty big thing. And partnership with USC Viterbi School of Engineering, right? Fascinating that USC is kind of like at this like yeah. center of like so much research of like women in film and right yeah with Hollywood yeah Dr. Stacy Smith mm-hmm. with Annenberg um, and, and all Davis, her research yes. yeah exactly makes sense it's right 
you know, right in the heart of it as well. But um, it is interesting mm-hmm. that that is, you know, happening at USC. Yeah. Um, so basically, this is an actual like program yeah, that then studios, like. I guess Walt Disney mm-hmm. just right now, I'm assuming the vision is to expand it, hopefully. Right. So they can use it internally. That's my understanding. They can mm-hmm. use it internally to see what's happening with their own work and how they're representing characters, and, you know, and then how that reflects the population. Right. Yeah. And I think um, just on a really basic level, it gives the opportunity to uh, change a script before it's made into the actual film or television show. And mm-hmm. you can see those statistics beforehand and say, okay, here's where, you know, we could do better, mm-hmm. um, and make those actual changes. Totally. So one thing that I realized when researching the Davis Institute, they had this mantra of girls see it, they can be it. Mm-hmm. And it's this, um, you know, obviously representing it. Yay. We, you know, they can see it. That's a huge part of just how, you know, women are represented in all of society essentially Mm -hmm. but i was listening to this other podcast um featuring author liz plank she just released her book for the love of men and she was talking about the gender revolution and how there's been so much change for women and seeing you know young girls or or females doing like normally masculine things and how Mm -hmm. that scene is really badass and really awesome um but yet like we haven't quite gotten to the point where like maybe we've seen young boys and men doing more traditionally feminine things and how like that's not quite there yet. Right. And I just thought that's such an interesting point. I've just been thinking about that ever mm. since. And I think it's kind of tied into this because it's like we're so, you know, course correcting for how women and girls are seen in media. And I think that's amazing and we need that. But I think to truly like... <laughs> reach equality yeah um that other side also needs to be affected i'm curious like how this will set the stage for that yeah do you feel like you've seen like a difference in the portrayal of women on screen i feel like i see the difference when i see uh something created by a woman yes when it's written or directed by a woman i'm like oh i actually do sense a difference here yeah um but yeah that makes me think of like the unbelievable series on Mm -hmm. netflix where this is a story that unfortunately it's a little too familiar of you know a woman being taken advantage of horribly but this series did feel different because it was run by a female showrunner and I felt like and they got the victim's approval for telling the story it did feel like a different sort of retelling of that story I guess I think it really did um yeah and just the way that they chose like the things that they chose to show um versus not you know the way that they chose to portray the violent aspects of it Mm -hmm. I just was like oh I haven't seen it portrayed in this way yeah and it makes so much sense though because it's like yeah we're portraying it from the woman's perspective Mm -hmm. and this is you know what she saw or didn't see and like how powerful um that was watching it i was really struck by that yeah similar to that um i would say is hustlers Mm. um there's like the you know the first scene where we really meet like the jennifer lopez's character and she's doing her dance on the pole and like of course we've seen that scene so many times right but it really did feel different to me where i was like wow this is a celebration of her own power Mm -hmm. and like her own strength and (laughs) she ends the scene with like something to the effect i'm paraphrasing of like i love money it makes me horny Mm -hmm. or something like that which i was like hell yeah yeah um but i again i was like oh this is definitely seen through 
female lens, yeah. if dare I say. Yeah, um, say because, it, instead of a male gaze, basically. Yeah, exactly. It did feel different to me, and it was exciting because I was like, wow, I am seeing a similar thing that I've seen before, mm-hmm. but there is something different about it. And I think this is this all related, where it's like, oh, totally. cool. There's still so much to delve into here. There's still mm-hmm. so much nuance and complexity with these characters and like representations of both men and women on screen, I think. Yeah. And now here's our conversation with Nina Erb. Nina is an Emmy-winning editor based in Los Angeles. She's been the editor on predictions for HBO, Universal, CBS, ABC, and others. In 2016, she received an Emmy Award for her work on HBO's documentary series Project Greenlight. And in 2019, she received an ACE Eddie nomination for her work on HBO's Peabody Award-winning series Insecure. Currently, she's editing Little America an anthology series on America's immigrants, produced by Kamel Nanjiani, Emily V. Gordon, Alan Yang, and Leah Eisenberg. Please enjoy. You graduated with a degree in art. What led you to get started in editing, and did you always envision yourself in the film industry? I actually never thought I would be in the movie industry. Um, You know, as a kid, you go to the movie theaters, you love the movies, but like, you don't realize that there's there's jobs and people do those jobs right so I never really thought about it um and after I graduated with an art degree uh, my friend who was working as an AD was like hey come work in the business you know you can go paint sets and build props I was like okay that's kind of related to my art degree I'll, I'll try it um and and I loved it I enjoyed myself tremendously and um but it just it never felt like the right fit so I kind of bounced around a little bit, tried different positions, all in production, um, worked as a script supervisor for a little bit, uh, and then was kind of like, okay, well, what's next after this? And they're like, well, a lot of scripties go on to becoming you know, directors or editors, and I didn't want to direct that much I knew. Um, and at the time, my knowledge of editing was like, oh, okay, so you sit in a dark room by yourself and you're working with all this all the dailies that doesn't sound very appealing you know I don't want to be all by myself all day long and in the dark in a windowless room um fortunately we have a window um (laughs) but um so I kind of pushed that aside for a little bit and keep bouncing around and started working as an associate producer and that's when I kind of realized oh editing is kind of where it all comes together like the editor I was working with he just blew my mind he showed me how your you know the meaning can change so dramatically depending on where you cut and when you cut and he also just showed me like you can turn a really really boring scene into something exciting again it's all made in editing and and I just remember thinking wow I had no knowledge of this like this is like it yeah, it was like a whole world opened up to me. And um, I finished out that season and stopped producing, <laughs> learned the Avid, and he hired me as his assistant. And, you know, I guess more than 15 years later, here I am. <laughs> what most excites you about the editing collaboration process? And how does that process vary from working on a big television show to working on a smaller passion project, such as a short film? I love the discovery process and the problem-solving aspect of storytelling. Um, I really enjoyed seeing where the dailies take me. Uh, and also, I I always found that, you know, if you show a scene to 10 different people, you're going to get 10 completely different responses. And some people find that to be aggravating, but I find it to be very interesting. Um, 
because you're getting a lot of different points of views, and, and I, I like to implement different people's ideas, um, especially if it's serving the story better. So I actually don't mind the notes process. <laughs> um, I know a lot of editors, if they hear that, they're going to be like, you're crazy. <laughs> but I don't mind notes. I like it. I, I, you know, I see it as a chance to, like, challenge myself, too, um, and to yeah, just see what else I can come up with to try and solve problems, to make things a little more clear, or maybe to, you know, make someone feel a certain emotion that they may not have been feeling before. Um, So that's my favorite part. And I would say that the biggest difference between working on, like, a studio-backed project versus a passion project is obviously the money, the budget. Um, Because oftentimes on a short film, maybe you'll have, like, one location that you have to dub for three right and so in the dailies I'm very very conscious of like okay if I play this too long in the wide shot are are people going to realize that this is the same place you know so I have to be very conscious of that cutting around those things um and also the timeline um you know on tv shows you have a delivery deadline typically um and on a short film sometimes it's like okay we're going to shoot for three days here and then we're going to, you know, raise more money <laughs> and then we'll shoot a few more months later. So it's a little more freeform, I find. Um, and and you know what's interesting? Speaking of problem solving, I, I took a, a few years of uh, sabbatical from short films because I was so busy doing other projects. And then um, just this last year, a director I worked with, um, she got a short film and she wanted me to cut it and I did and um and it was interesting to see like how creative I was able to get when the resources were limited when you have certain like challenges um and and it was just interesting it's like little things that I didn't have to worry about before you know like oh yeah they'll just pick up a shot (laughs) no there's not that yeah they're not going to go back and you know and pick up anything because they're done (laughs) so it's it's um yeah it it was it was great I I really enjoyed it because it it made me feel like okay I I didn't lose my touch like I can still solve really hard problems (laughs) yeah that's interesting I feel like that's kind of a common thread the idea that like restriction actually enhances creativity and it's fascinating to see like and all the different conversations we've had, how that comes up in each part of the filmmaking process. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um. <laughs> One quick question for you, though, regarding dailies, because we're still learning a lot about the editing process. So when you're getting the dailies, are you just you're kind of clocking what's happening so that when you start the editing process you kind of know what's to come or is that you're starting the editing as you're getting those dailies well uh typically we're i try to keep up to camera which means like the dailies come in usually from the prior day shoot i'll watch it and i'll start cutting it um so that i'm never a day you know behind shooting and that way it's it's helpful because if you're on a set um you know if you're like oh okay I think you meant to get the shot but I don't think you got it so let's try it you know just try to get that tomorrow if you're in the same uh, set or or if something like let's say sometimes the dailies don't transfer right <laughs> sometimes there's a problem with the camera and it's good to know like immediately like uh, there was a show I did um um, I'm not going to name any names. Is that okay? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a series I did uh, where they shot outdoors and something, I'm not sure what happened with the camera, but um, there was a ghosting 
that happened on one of the three cameras. And so it was, it was quite interesting, like, seeing that. And it's very, very faint because it was all outdoors. So it was very, very bright. Oh, ghosting. It means like, so you're seeing kind of like a, like a shadow of you, like a double image. Yeah. But it's very faint. It's like, like a, almost like a halo, but it's like your entire, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and it ended up being like some weird, like reflection that caught the lens in a certain way. And then there was something that was, something was wonky, but, um, but yeah, so it was great that I was able to keep up the camera and I saw that immediately and I was like, Mm, okay, do we, can we go back to that location? And they're like, well, we can, but we would prefer not to because it's expensive. <laughs> I said, okay, well, let's, let me see if I can make it work with the two cameras that we have. And um, fortunately, we were able to cut around a lot of it. And even the camera that had the ghosting, there are certain parts that weren't um, as bad or noticeable. And so we're thinking like, okay, maybe we can use this shot because you can't quite see it as well and then we can maybe fix some of it in vfx so um so it's really really helpful to stay up you know up to camera um so yeah so i am watching dailies and cutting at the same time (laughs) sorry it's a long long answer to your question i'm fascinated because i feel like i have so much to learn about the editing process so this is really interesting (laughs) so you came on as an editor of season three for Issa Rae's popular show, Insecure. And we were wondering if you could just talk about your experience working on Insecure and what it was like to come in on season three of a show that had already been going for two seasons. Yeah, it's, you know, it's never easy stepping into a new show where everybody's, you know, been together since day one and they have a shorthand and you're kind of like, hi, new kid. Hello. You know, um, but shockingly, like, and and I actually I don't know why I'm surprised about it because Issa is very inclusive and I think because she is it kind of trickled down to the entire crew and so everybody was so nice and um, all of Post was super helpful um, the other editor who's been there since the pilot he was always there when I had a question like hey I'm thinking about using this song like is this in the language of the show like I think it is but um, or if I'm thinking about doing something completely wacky. <laughs> <laughs> like how crazy is this like do you think they'll mind you know so and he was very generous with his time like really just helped me along so much um so it was a great experience it was fantastic yeah I love the show too yeah how did you like so you kind of already knew the language of the show just from watching it as a viewer yes. how do you like so if you're yeah how do you learn the language of the show if you're not as familiar with it oh um well Watching it, I knew the, all the story arcs and the characters, um, and I had to, when I got hired, I, I rewatched everything and really paid attention to the cinematography, um, the type of shots they were using, whether they were playing everything a little wider and hanging back, or if they are going a little tighter, or if there was a lot of handheld or um, locked off shots. And I noticed that um, for Issa, because she was, you know, very much figuring her way out in, in the world or figuring out her way in the world, um, she, um, her shots were more handheld and a little more, had a little more movement. Um, and Molly's character, because she's, you know, a little more established working as a lawyer. Her shots were always locked off. Yeah. And so knowing that, like in season three, there was a scene where Molly was actually kind of off kilter a little bit. She's in a new law firm. So things weren't as, you know, great as she's usually having, you know, experiencing. Um, 
And so it was interesting to like kind of put a little camera move in there so that for the first time, instead of her shots being totally stationary and locked off and steady, they were a little shaky. So it's it's an interesting little thing that I don't think a lot of people would notice unless you're like really studying it <laughs> like I was <laughs> to get ready for the show. And can you tell us a little bit about that? There was an episode, um, the way that that you chose to show how they were texting was different I think than previously oh, yeah um obsessed like yeah um, that episode yeah. yeah um yeah normally they you know show there's texting and social media graphics on the screen next to the person that's doing it so you know who's doing what and um and I I tried that for this particular episode where you know Issa's kind of obsessed with why Nathan's ghosted her and so she's like kind of stalking him on Instagram and checking her constantly checking her phone to see if he's called um and I would always start with it in the language of the series um and actually you know, let's back up a little bit I did it so that it was totally in line with the with the show and I was watching it and thinking like God, you know this is not I'm not as engaged like I don't feel you know her anxiety I don't feel like the tension of her like looking through his posts trying to find like is he dating somebody else like what's happening um and so I thought well what if we made it so that it's like an actual character as if you shot it and it's part of the dailies that she's interacting with this this you know text or graphics or you know (laughs) instagram feed um and so I told my assistant, uh, Lanary, my crazy idea. <laughs> and she was like, okay. She's like up for anything. And, and, and I said, okay, so, so make these graphics and do it so it's high resolution enough so that I can like animate it and punch in and do whatever I want. <laughs> and I'm thinking like any minute now she's going to look at me and tell me I'm crazy. And she just was like, cool. She went into her room and then <laughs> texted me when she's like, okay, the first batch is in your bin. So I, I opened it up. I was like, oh, my God, this is great. <laughs> so, yeah, so she she did an incredible job. Um, and it, it was kind of a risk, you know, because it was very different from what they're used to showing. I mean, I'm showing things like full screen and like zooming in and trying to, you know, make a comedic moment. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys have seen that episode. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it felt so real. I was yeah. like, this, oh, is, good. <laughs> this is a real experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when she saw like his yeah. mom kissing, uh-huh. and it was like, <laughs> like the zoom in and then like, you look down, oh, that's your mom. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Can you talk about what your experience is like with the director in post-production? How does the process differ from director to director? And what draws you to keep collaborating with the same director if you continue that collaboration? Well, all the I, I, I would say a lot of directors are very different. Like I don't think I've worked with two that are the same. <laughs> um, and in TV, you the, the collaboration is a little different than in features. Um, you have these guest directors that come in and you're really your job is to make sure that the show and the showrunner's vision is adhered to um and the director can come in and you know impart his style and his vision as well but um but if you know it's really about the writers and the showrunner and typically they'll come in for one or two episodes for a series and some the younger directors are a little more involved in post they'll like to come in and kind of hang out and 
you know, and, and I love that too. Like I love, so I love having, you know, people work with me and it's great to bounce ideas off of them. And then there's other directors that they're busy. They have another show. So they'll come in, they'll watch it, they'll give you notes and they'll go away to, the, to prep their next whatever. Um, and then I'll do the notes and I'll, you know, post a cut for them at night. Um, for like half hours, directors typically get two days, um, and the second day we'll do additional notes, if any, and for one hour, they get four days. Mm-hmm. So it's the same process over and over. And I've um, been fortunate enough to, you know, work on shows where the, re- you know, the directors return. And it's really nice. Like, I, I actually um, just finished a pilot with a director that I worked with previously on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And it was that collaboration that led her to think about suggesting me for the pilot. So, so it's great. I'm a little curious about what it's like to have a director in the room with you versus not, like how that process works if you're just doing it by yourself or, you know, with a director. I know it's it's different, but like how how is oh, that how? different for okay. you? Um, I, I love it because when you're trying to solve a problem and you're trying different things, if they're there, you can show them right away. And so the result and the answer is immediate um, as opposed to um, – kind of guessing if they'll like it and then sending it a cut to them and then they watch it and then they're like well I was thinking more of this and then you do it again and the whole you know it, it's it's just easier when they're with you in the bay because um, it just it saves time and you know exactly what it is and also you know having the person there um, if what you're if if the way that you address a note is not working you can also brainstorm together and come up with maybe an even better way to do it so yeah it feels like a better way of like exploring the possibilities because I imagine there are so many possibilities so it's like all those combinations and then how do you pick oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. um yeah there's uh there yeah I've worked on projects where like you can literally cut the same scene 20 different ways completely different ways and so how do you know what's in their mind you can't read their mind right So you can just do the best you can. And and so it's really helpful to have them in the room. So you won an Emmy for Project Greenlight, a documentary series about filmmaking. Can you talk about the differences between editing scripted versus non-scripted content? Wow, that that could be like a whole podcast in itself. (laughs) Um, I would say that the similarities are that you know, at the heart of any programming, is it's all about story. You need a hero, you need a villain, you know. Um, and uh, so in that aspect, it's pretty much the same, regardless of, you know, whether you have a script or not. Um, but I think specifically with Project Greenlight is that uh, compared to other scripted series where you have, like, multiple takes, there was no multiple takes on that. There was no multiple cameras. It was one producer with a camera just documenting everything, and you just had to wade through all of it to make sure it looked like it was a multi-camera shoot and looked as good as, you know, anything else out there. Um, every once in a while, if they had a meeting at HBO, um, they would have a second camera. <laughs> or they would have a second camera, but the second camera would be shooting something completely different than what the first camera was shooting because they had, they had a lot of ground to cover. So I, I totally got it. And and you can't really have a large, you know, documentary crew following them around because they're trying to shoot a movie themselves. So it's it's to be out of the way. I, I understood why they had to have just one camera. <laughs> so, yeah. So it was it was a challenge trying to, you know, make sure it all made sense and looked just as good as any multi-camera <laughs> project. 
It's hard to imagine. Yeah. I also feel like with non-scripted, the editor really has such a role in shaping the story. Oh, yeah. Because you're finding those moments. Like, you're creating kind of the story from yeah all the footage that you're given yeah absolutely yeah you're watching everything and you're like okay this is an interesting discussion about what where they want to shoot you know and so you kind of decide okay there could be a story here and then you kind of look at it and you think okay what's the beginning middle and end and you know who's going to be the villain who's going to be the hero you know (laughs) um and naturally for that particular series because filmmaking is so in such an intense process and there's so many creative people involved um you naturally have interesting content and interesting characters um and so we didn't really have to manufacture anything for that series which is really nice um but yeah, yeah, you, you're much more the writer, um, yeah, and editor <laughs> on a non-scripted series. <laughs> what advice do you have for someone who's interested in becoming an editor? Mm, um, well, I would say if you're recently coming out of film school, if you're a recent grad, uh, look into America's Cinema Editor's internship program. Um, all the information's on their website. It's there. It's phenomenal. It's like they pick two people and an honorary and they basically, uh, there's a lecture series where you learn all about assistant editing and some of the etiquette and, um, and then they put you in these rooms, like they'll do an episodic room for TV and then they'll do a feature room for all feature films and they'll do a reality room for all the non-scripted stuff. And then a room, um, where they go to all the well, it's not really a room, I guess. They, they tour all the different facilities and find out basically like how they do their work. And so, yeah, like in October, we uh, on Crazy X, I had an intern with us for a week and she shadowed my assistant and really learned the workflow and how to how to be an assistant on the show. And like, you don't like how do you get that experience otherwise? Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're a PA on the show you could in your free time shadow the assistant and learn that way. But like, this was just such a fast track for anyone that was chosen to be the intern. It was, it's a great experience. I highly recommend it. (laughs) Um, And then if you're an assistant who's been working and you're looking to move up, I would say cut as much as possible, cut short films, cut webisodes, you know, um, ask your editor if you can cut scenes. And if, they're willing you know show it to them and see if you can learn from them through the notes process um yeah because that's how I did it when I was assisting I would just like do all my work and then try to cut one scene a night and then once I got that under my belt and comfortable with that workflow and the pace I was like let's see if I can do two a night let's see if I can do three a night you know and so because you know when you're first cutting it takes a long time because you're kind of like second guessing your choices right yeah and so you get faster and better at it so it sounds like you're very busy but we're curious what do you do to stay creatively inspired during your off time oh I try to have a life (laughs) I really do I try really really hard to have a life um I do spend a lot of time um uh, mentoring um uh assistants and younger editors that have sought me out to be their mentor um and then I also just make sure you know I'm going to the movies and I'm seeing my friends and I'm going to the galleries and reading books and traveling when I can you know because I I it's so funny when I first started I was just taking whatever came my way just to keep busy and to build a resume and I remember being at a party and I was so tired and so burnt out 
And I just realized I have nothing to say because all I've been doing is working. Like, that's not good. <laughs> like, I'm a boring person right now. <laughs> I have nothing to say. Oh, my God. So, so yeah. So ever since then, I was like, yeah, you got you to gotta make sure that you're doing things that are interesting that are not industry related. Um, because sometimes great ideas come from that. And, you know, it's good to have interest outside of work. <laughs> oh, speaking of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, you recently edited the final season. Was there a different dynamic editing that season as everyone knew it was the final season? Is there kind of a different feeling or dynamic doing that? that that's an interesting show because I came on in season three of that one as well. <laughs> and I stayed for two seasons and the entire crew was amazing. It was very much a family and a lot of them have been together since the pilot. Um, and I feel like you know, with each season, everybody just wants to do the best because there is such a, the show is just so special and unique to a lot of us that have been working a long time. And, you know, it was, it was like, it was a show that kind of defied all genres. Right. And so for that reason, I think a lot of us really, you know, had a special place in our hearts. And so we just try to do the best that we can with each episode, with each season. And I think by the time the fourth season, fourth and final season came around, it was really bittersweet. How was it, was it different editing that one because of all the musical numbers? Like how did that affect your process at Mm -hmm. the end? Yeah, that was, um, that was a fun, fun challenge. It was hard, but it was fun. Um, you know, what's great about the musical numbers is that, you know, you oftentimes you get pigeonholed very easily in this business. You know, if you're cutting in comedy, oh, you can't cut drama. If you're cutting drama, you can't cut comedy. You know, if you're cutting a TV show, you can't cut features. If you're cutting feature, you can't cut, you know, it's like, no, it's all storytelling. It doesn't matter what format or genre. Um, but for that series, all the music, it, it ran the gamut from like the 50s to like present day to like you know like hip-hop I mean it was yeah it it really you never knew what you were going to get in that episode like which genre you're going to you know kind of try to emulate for that musical number and so that was such a great creative kind of workout um and and yeah, I did change my workflow a lot because I had to work really fast. Because <laughs> sometimes you would get two musical numbers, and I think the most I had in an episode was five. And you don't get extra time to do it, right? And so, yeah, you still have three days after the last day of dailies to get your entire episode together for the director. Yeah. And once that show's on air, it's, oof, it's a, yeah, it's a sprint. <laughs> so, yeah. So it definitely, I, I had to be very, very disciplined. Like there was no coming to work and having breakfast. It was like breakfast at home. I'm getting to work and I'm going to start it. (laughs) It's a very specific question to do with the show, if that's okay. But I feel like my background's in musical theater. And I feel like so much in musical theater is like the moment before someone sings Mm -hmm. is like, that's where it's like transforming into this like newer level of emotion. Mm -hmm. Was that moment, like, did you think about that moment in this show? Like where it would transfer from the dialogue into the song? Like, I feel like that's such like a ephemeral moment that it was that yeah was that in your mind at all when editing those those oh yeah absolutely it was it was really important um the transferring uh from you know quote-unquote reality Rebecca Bunch's reality into a fantasy world which is her musical numbers and so there was always we're always very conscious of that making sure there's a lighting cue change or there's some kind of um visual cue 
um, to kind of help that along. And sometimes it's, you know, an effect. Sometimes it's a lighting cue. And sometimes it's, you know, let's see, what's the most interesting one that we've done? Oh, so in this last season, there's an episode where they all did a road trip. And so that was a challenge to to transfer from all the different cars with all the different people into the same musical number. And so what we found was like, okay, they're all frustrated. They're all in the car together with people they don't want to be in a car with. And so it was like, we just used the size. So it was like sigh from this car, sigh from that car, sigh from the other car, and then into the musical number. (laughs) Yeah. So, so yeah, so we were definitely focused on that a lot. What would be your dream project to edit? That's a really hard one. I, a little while ago, I made it a point to never take anything that I don't absolutely love. And so, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to just kind of come up with like a, a dream project. I guess ideally it'd be something where I love the script, powerful story, and really, really wonderful and, you know, nice filmmakers. <laughs> what prompted you or how did that decision to only take on projects that you really love, how did that come about? Um, I was on a series and I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, and I love the people, but then I realized, you know, it's just you have to look forward to coming to work. And it wasn't that I wasn't looking forward to coming to work. Like, I just knew that I could be more excited about it. Um, yeah. So I liked it. I didn't love it and I wanted to love it. And so I think I just realized that life was short. You only have so much, you know, so many time, uh, so many hours in a day. And I want to spend it doing things that I just, that resonate with me and I connect with. And, you know, I, I want to get lost at work, I guess, you know, like lost in your work. And, and uh, yeah, so it took doing something that wasn't quite the right fit. <laughs> what would be something surprising that people might not know about the editing process? <laughs> That is not just pushing buttons. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not just pushing buttons. And um, gosh. And it's a lot more creative than people think it is. Yeah. A lot of people think that this is a, a technical job. And it really isn't. Because, you know, I think everyone's heard the the saying that a movie or or a script is written three times, right, by the writer, and then once again during the shoot, and then the final rewrite is in the edit, and it's so true. And so I think, yeah, I think it's easy. It's not just about learning the software and pushing buttons. It's like you really got to, you know, be able to be objective and subjective, and, and that's a really hard thing to balance, I think, you know, so that you can have empathy empathy, <laughs> um, and, you know, connect with the characters and then also but be objective enough to step like step back and look at it and go, is this even making sense or is it only making sense because I know the script? So, yeah, I think that's probably the thing that people don't understand about it. Yeah, I feel like editors really have to know story and have to know, like, what makes up a story and then how you yeah tell that yeah 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 you really do (laughs) and you know it a lot has to do with taste you know your taste and performance um and music and so how do you think you like build your taste or like know what your taste is 
I I was on a panel with uh, Mary Jo Markey, and someone asked that question, and uh, not to me, just to the panel, and we all had our ideas, and hers was so brilliant. It was just like experience life, and just like really kind of have a reason for why you like something and and know it and you know um be able to kind of back it up I guess um and yeah it's weird like if you go to the art gallery a lot you know kind of like being able to appreciate different types of art form kind of makes you a little more open-minded also um I suggested people try to learn an instrument because I felt that music was really helpful to me I played piano since I was like five (laughs) um and and I think that helped me with pacing and rhythm and just knowing like what like felt right I guess and and I think that helps like all of it helps you know reading and being immersed in art and music it all helps develop your taste Great. So we're going to end with our rapid response segment. Three, two, one, action. Um, Cool. So we'll start with three. Your favorite or most influential film? Oh, out of sight. Yeah, without a doubt. And and I think you all all know what scene I'm talking about, too. (laughs) Two. Dream person you would like to work with? Reese Witherspoon. Without a doubt. Yeah. (laughs) One. Best advice you've ever received? It's not personal. Action. What are you most looking forward to right now? I'm, this is going to sound so nerdy, (laughs) but I'm actually really excited about going back to season four of Insecure. (laughs) I was just at the um, uh, FYC event and uh, it was just seeing the trailer and seeing everybody again. I was like, oh, I'm so excited to go back. (laughs) That doesn't sound nerdy at all. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for chatting with us. No, thank you so much for having me. This is great. I'm so glad you guys uh, are doing what you're doing. Thanks. Well, we're glad to have the opportunity to talk to people like you. So thank you. (laughs) You can find us at afemalelens.com and at afemalelens on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at afemalelens at gmail.com. And you can download the show anywhere you listen to podcasts and on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you left us a review. Our theme song was composed by Jesse Nelson. Our logos are by Megan Cafferty. This podcast is produced by Jennifer Zollett and Larkin Bell.